welcome back to another episode of the Brockless Podcast. As always, I'm joined with Nathan and Borav bounced back from a very disappointing result last week. And Nathan, we're, we're back to winning ways, back with that feel-good factor. And seems like Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough side are, are no joke, really. Yeah, they're doing really well um, to bounce back after such a poor defeat last week at the hands of Brighton. And I think it should be said that it's evident that they're not just plucky little Brighton, as many Borough fans did seem to think, as they defeated Liverpool 3-0 this week. Um, But yeah, Borough bounced back and back to the league now, where I think me and you particularly think that Borough should be putting their focus towards and playing a really difficult side this week. But yeah, Borough back in business and yeah, three points in the bag once again. Yeah, and actually we've sort of gone straight into football there, but I haven't this week asked, how are you? How's your week been? Yeah, all good from me. Yeah, just uh, getting back into the swing of the things um, with the new year. but. Yeah, all decent from me. What about yourself, Chris? Yeah, all good as well. I think, especially during the transfer window, which obviously we can talk about a little bit, I guess in chronological order, we should probably talk about transfers before the football again, because obviously there's one sort of big story from this week, or last week, I guess. Um, Yeah, it's just constantly, I feel like my screen time on my phone is about <laughs> 12 hours a day. Um, But yeah, apart from that, keeping ticking over and just enjoying I mean life's just better isn't it when Middlesbrough winning football matches and, and they are doing that at the moment so yeah a little bit more of a spring in your step when uh, when the room side's full and, and Middlesbrough doing the business but anyway as I mentioned there some transfer news obviously last week's story was the arrival of Cameron Archer this week we did see some exits obviously not of Huge uh, key players, Dan Dodds, um, has joined Hartlepool in a permanent deal, which I think a few fans were a little bit shocked by, um, given that in his brief cameo earlier on this season against Barnsley, he made somewhat of an impression. um, And from his previous loan, um, all good reviews, really. So I think when it was announced that it was a permanent departure, people were a little bit shocked. But yeah, Nathan, it's, it's sort of, hard to judge it on that one really because obviously he's still in the very early stages of his career but I guess you would trust the club to really sort of foresee what level they think he can play at I guess Yeah I think you would, you're right Um, Daniel Dodds was out on loan early on in the season at Darlington and looked to have impressed at National League North level so a step up to League 2 for him Um, probably the highest level that he's played at in his career so far, discounting that Carabao Cup appearance earlier on in the season for Middlesbrough. But yeah, you'd hope that the club have got that one right, but best of luck to Dan uh, in the future with his move at Hartlepool. Yeah, and then obviously the big story that we referred to earlier on is, of course, uh, the ongoing transfer saga. There was, There's always one, isn't there, in the January window? And uh, this month, it seems like it's going to be Another Dan, this time Dan Barlasa, of course, the Rotherham midfielder. 
Uh, we now know that a concrete offer has been made. It's been rejected. There were sort of murmurings that the fee was around the £900,000 mark, but I think Rotherham's manager um, has come out and pretty much said that the offer wasn't actually even that much. Um, and it seems as though they're happy to just keep hold of Barlasser until the end of the season, regardless of the fact he doesn't want to sign a new deal, basically to try and keep them up and they'll get the value from him as a player that way rather than getting it in a monetary value. Obviously, this morning, uh, we've also seen from the Northern Echo that a large part of Rotherham's stance is due to the fact that Newcastle have a large sell-on fee. So if you factor that in, I think Rotherham would be looking at a fee less than half a million pound. And for a player that is so crucial to Rotherham, I hate to say it from a Middlesbrough perspective, but I do kind of understand their stance on it. Yeah, I'd agree to an extent with you there, Chris. Um, keeping him to continue his performances in midfield for Rotherham, but from the player's perspective, he's got six months left on, on his current deal at Rotherham. Evidently wants to move on, uh, wherever that may be. There have been reports that it is Middlesbrough that is his desired destination. But from a player's perspective, he could quite comfortably say, well, I don't want to be here anymore and make that clear to the club and try and force a move. But I don't think that that will be the case uh, for Dan Barlasser. I think that it will be up to Middlesbrough that if they do want Barlasser now, then they will have to reach a certain agreement with Rotherham to, to, to give them a specific transfer fee um, to themselves rather than Newcastle as well in this deal. Um, but yeah, Barlasser played on, on Saturday for Rotherham in their 4-0 win against Blackburn Rovers and he, he set a goal up as well, uh, the fourth goal for, for Connor Washington. But yeah, as you say, Matt Taylor, the Rotherham boss, after the game did sort of deny the reports from the Daily Mail that did say that Middlesbrough had placed a bid for Dan Barlasser of £900,000 and said that it was a lot lower than that figure. So we'll have to wait and see on this one, but it appears that the saga isn't over and it will be continuing long into the rest of the month and probably close to the deadline if Borough don't get it done uh, sooner rather than later yeah and of course obviously earlier on this week as well before the news of Barlassa and I'll sort of go on to basically a little bit of a conspiracy as to why this name may have just cropped up um Sky Sports um have reported that and this name is no joke despite what it may sound like um that Middlesbrough supposedly keen on, and I'm probably going to butcher his name, Ardon Yasari, Jashari. Yeah. yeah. Is that right, Nathan? I, I think I so. I, it'll be the same as same as you, Chris, in the sense that I'd never heard this name mentioned um, ever before, before this link came about. But, yeah, Borough linked to uh, what looks to be 
a hot prospect over in Switzerland. Um, played two games for the Swiss Swiss national team already at the age of 20. So it looks like this kid's going to have a promising future. And once it was posted on the the Baropolis Twitter page, just reading some of the replies, a lot of a lot of people mentioned that he's quite the wonder kid on Football Manager. So it's good to see Borough doing the scouting on a on a computer game once again. Yeah, yeah, and you know, of course, the name crops up. I, I think Barlasser was really a name that going into the window, everyone's sort of. I think I said in the last podcast, it feels like one of those deals that is a case of when rather than if. And I think he's really been the main target. It certainly seems that way from all the speculation. And for me, given the timing of the report towards the back end of last week about the bid going in, it does feel like potentially that name may have been released to almost speed Rotherham up a little bit. Maybe he's without being too sort of cynical, probably to make Dan Ballas, I think, well, I'm about to miss my opportunity here, so I'm sort of going to have to do something about that. Um, obviously, we're yet to see whether he's that type of character in terms of if he'll really... If reports are to be believed and his heart is set on moving to Middlesbrough, then who knows, you know, we may see a transfer request. I think everyone sort of knows sometimes that clubs release a name to try and speed another deal up that they want to be done. And it certainly timing-wise did feel a little bit like that. But yeah, as you say, highly regarded in in Switzerland and, and highly regarded on Football Manager, which some people would actually take more from, I guess. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think in terms of transfers, that's pretty much it. There was also a little bit of speculation about Solbrin and potentially clubs being interested in him. Um, at the moment, it seems as though he's probably going to stay at Swindon um, and also on the keeper front, Huddersfield and a lot of other clubs, including clubs in Scotland, seem to be keen on Luke Daniels. So I guess that might have a knock-on effect in terms of the goalkeepers, but you know, not huge news. No, I think that's that's pretty much everything on the transfer front. And just lastly, on, on Luke Daniels there, as third-choice goalkeeper, um, we do have another one that is currently at Middlesbrough still. Brad James, who was on loan at Hartlepool a few years ago, I've been quite surprised um, to, to not see him loaned out once again since he was was quite pivotal in Hartlepool being promoted from the National League back into League Two two seasons ago now. So, yeah, he's still, he's still around at Middlesbrough, so I'd guess that he'd be number three should Luke Daniels leave Middlesbrough this window. Yeah, I think that would probably be the case. And obviously, because of all the rave reviews <laughs> that um, Solbrin is receiving, I think, like Josh Corbin, it would be a little bit daft to sort of end that now and, and disrupt his um, development. Um, and no, I'm not Chris Wilder. Saying that. <laughs> um, on to the game, Nathan. Obviously, a test that we all sort of knew what to expect from. I think I said in last week's podcast that Millwall's backline hasn't actually changed for 10 years. And lo and behold, a lot of the familiar faces that you expect from this Millwall side were in the lineup. Um, and actually, more of a surprise, I guess, in terms of lineup from Michael Carrick's side was that 
there was no changes. Um, I guess most people probably thought there might be one or two given the the Brighton result, but like Michael Carrick sort of does now, really. He just remained calm and, and just decided to be laid back about it and, and, and let the team that obviously shipped five goals to Brighton, um, I guess, have another go. And, and obviously he got his rewards for that. Yeah, he did, uh, as you say, unchanged from that defeat. Um, Paddy McNair retaining his place in the starting eleven um, in the absence of Dara Lenahan. It appears now that the injury to Lenahan, a foot injury, is slightly worse than expected. Borough still awaiting scans on that injury for Dara Lenahan. So we'll have to wait on wait and see on that front and see how long term that's going to be. But Paddy McNair deputising in the absence of Dara Lenahan for for Middlesbrough going into the game. I felt that it was it was always going to be a tight game. I felt that that was that was always going to be the case. And really, in the early stages of the game, there wasn't much to talk about. Middlesbrough dominating possession, as per usual, as you'd expect, with Middlesbrough being the home side in this one. Um, one chance that did stand out in that first half was a chance for Tube Rackpom. Um Borough do quite well down that left-hand side and a great run by Marcus Force to drive inside, pulls away Murray Wallace, who was at left-back for Millwall on Saturday afternoon, creating a load of space for Tube Rackpom on Middlesbrough's right-hand side. A great switch by Matt Crooks and Tuba is, is, is he's not one-on-one, but he has a chance to, to get an effort off on goal. And I would have expected him to kind of go into the near post that looked quite open from where I was sat. However, he opts to go across goal and it, it's blocked. Um, but in that, in that first half, it was relatively quiet. We limited Millwall to, well, nothing really. There was, there was one, one effort from Zian Fleming that didn't really test Zach Steffen, it was a comfortable catch for him. But, yeah, a, a quiet opening 45 in terms of chances. What did you make of it, Chris? Yeah, again, like you say, to be honest, Nathan, I felt that we we dominated. And I guess, like, without sort of tarring every Millwall side over the last 15 years with the same growth, <laughs> they were always going to come away from home and sort of sit as a unit and, and be quite happy to just soak up pressure and try and basically play off set pieces. And they had a few, okay, counter-attacks. There was that quite funny moment where they go to counter-attack. And actually, I've just seen a TikTok from Middlesbrough's account, um, basically just taking the piss out of it, to be honest, because Callum Styles goes to... Uh, I think it's actually in a situation where it it was either four on one or four on two and Callum Styles is dribbling into Borough's half and then just seemingly forgets the ball and trips over himself. Um, yeah. Win the ball back. But yeah, that, that was the only real moment where I thought, you know, we could be in trouble here in the first half anyway. Um, and as you say, 
you almost expect Juba to put that chance away, and he, he doesn't, of course. It's it's not a bad effort as such. Um, perhaps just gets his technique slightly wrong. But in terms of possession, we dominated, going from side to side, keeping the ball, and Ryan Giles was getting a lot of crosses into the box. Really, really, I mean, nothing that we don't expect from him now, but brilliant balls into the box. And it, it just wasn't really dropping um, for Michael Carrick's side. We saw Big uh, big Tree try and stick one of his branches out and punch one into the back of the net. <laughs> booked for. Um, but yeah, I, I would say on a whole... The first half, we, we certainly dominated. And if you'd watched that first half as a neutral, I think you, you would have thought the next goal in the game would come from Middlesbrough. Yeah, I'd agree with you in that sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm just rethinking about that Callum Styles breakaway and the panic on my face will have been a, a sight to behold as Hayden Hackney slips over on the halfway line and you see four Millwall players breaking against Tommy Smith on his own. Yeah, it was a, a little bit of a worry, but Borough fortunate in that sense. Um, going into the second half, I think it's been a regular theme of, of Middlesbrough under Carrick so far that Borough usually improve going into the second half and, and, and pick the game up and usually start quite quickly after the break. And they did just that, um, getting the goal 10 minutes in the second half. Um, Tuber Akpom holding the ball up, drags a few Millwall players out the way, knocks it into Johnny Housen. Johnny Housen plays a threaded ball down the side of Murray Wallace. And I think that Marcus Force is possibly a little bit fortunate here that it doesn't get given as a foul for, for Barge and Wallace um, out the way. I think because Wallace doesn't go down on the contact, I think that nothing's given for that reason um force gains possession of the ball tries to put a cross into the box it deflects off wallace knocks him to the floor force cuts inside on that left foot and whips one low and hard into the bottom corner of george long's net and yeah it was it was a good goal for middlesbrough a good goal at a good time as well. And I think you could see the togetherness in the team celebration. Um, you could you could sort of tell the importance of getting the first goal in the game. And I always felt that whoever got the first goal in the game would probably go on to win. And for Middlesbrough and Marcus Force, it was it was a good good afternoon. Yeah, it was. And firstly. Let's just talk about the finish because on his weak foot especially, obviously, and I think we talked about it again last podcast, that, you know, things haven't really come easy to Marcus Force in terms of his start at Middlesbrough. And he's now finding his feet in a role that he probably didn't anticipate that he was going to be playing. And it, I think it would be fair to say he doesn't look a natural in terms of as a right winger, but he's just so effective at the moment. Um, I think it was Mark Bowler actually put in a put a story up the other day with uh, after full time and uh, captioned the story with Valencia. Now I don't know if this is actually the case, 
but I assume this is in reference to Antonio Valencia because it makes me laugh that Marcus Force is crossing ability as such is getting to the byline and absolutely thumping it across the ground. <laughs> it's not really like a, a David Beckham whip. It's just a low driven strike. And it, it does remind me of Antonio Valencia a little bit back in his, uh, back in his Wigan days. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, a phenomenal finish on his weak foot. And as you say, perhaps a little bit fortunate in terms of the push on Murray Wallace but if anyone deserves it on on that Millwall team, it is him because you know he's. I'm sure he's one of them where if he's on your team, you you love him, and if you're playing against him, you hate him. But he's one player that I just can't. I've just got no time for. He's he's not necessarily a bad player, but he's just he is the epitome of a Millwall defender, isn't he? He he really is tough, quite ugly. <laughs> Got a decent boot on him. And I seem to remember, I want to say it was Isaiah Jones. It might not have been. I seem to remember a few years ago, he, he released pretty much what was a WWE move on one of our wingers and nearly not broke his nose. I, I want to say it's Isaiah Jones, but I might be wrong on that it, one. Yeah, I think I think it may have been, actually. Um, but, yeah, um, just, just looking at that Millwall back line, of course... When you think of Millwall, you think of solid, resolute, and just pretty much just a lot of hard nuts, really. And that's exactly what they are. Um, watching Murray Wallace in that first half, I've always felt that he was a very tough opponent to come up against in the sense of, although he's probably not the quickest player that you can come up against, because he's tall, he's got a long stride, and... I mean, he's built like a centre-half, isn't he, playing at left-back? Um, and there was there was a moment in that first half where he, he got the ball on his right foot instead of his left. And, yeah, you can tell that he's got away with using his left foot for his, his full career because that right foot is probably just for standing on for Murray Wallace. Um, yeah, not not the best footballer I've, I've ever seen. But... There you go. Um, yeah, I, just going a bit further on from from the goal now. Um, I felt sitting there watching Middlesbrough following the opening goal that we lost our shape a little bit. Um, I felt that we were sort of unnecessarily throwing a lot of men forward to try and kill the game at points and it was leaving us open particularly down our our left hand side as as you would expect with with Ryan Giles bombing on and Riley McGree down that side picking up pockets in the middle of the pitch what did you make of of Borough following the opening goal Chris because it was it was just strange to me that we seemed to be going going on and trying to kill the game instead of sitting in our shape and and just sort of soaking up a little bit of pressure and trying to hit on the break. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you've got it completely right, actually. Um, and I think it's almost, it's a it's a strength of Michael Carrick's team, but perhaps something to look at moving forward. And, and I'm sure Michael Carrick will be fully aware that, you know, his, his Middlesbrough team haven't really struggled to score goals whilst he'll, he's been in charge. And at 1-0, as you say, it felt like 
the team just wanted to sort of bury the game, get that second. And, and then, you know, that was, I think, obviously, it was only one in the end, but two would have really just killed Millwall completely. Because even going into the final 10 minutes, obviously, typical nail-biting end. They're just lugging balls into the box and hoping for the best, really. Um, and not that it didn't need to be like that. It, it should be applauded how well we defended, especially Paddy McNair and Dale Fry. Of course, Dale Fry made his 200th appearance. The big lighthouse was just heading everything. If you'd have thrown a washing machine into the box, he would have headed it away. Um, <laughs> But yeah, in, in terms of our shape, I do felt that it become the game become too open, and it was allowing us to attack. But then it was also allowing us to attack at one nil and leave spaces and gaps in behind for Millwall to counter attack us. Um, and I, I think the main sort of moment, especially from that left hand side, was I think it's Fleming who picks up the ball. Um, and Paddy McNair just slips. And actually, I think Ryan Giles is perhaps a little bit fortunate to not give away a penalty. Yeah, I'd, I'd completely agree with you, Chris. Um, I think McNair slips, but he also is done by Fleming. Fleming kicks it one way and, and goes round him the other. Um does Paddy McNair and, and has a free run into the Middlesbrough box. And as Ryan Giles is trying to get back into position, he sort of just clatters into the back of Fleming, really. And, and we're kind of fortunate that Fleming doesn't go down and he tries to continue and play on. And Gary Rowett did speak about this um, post-match and say that Mid uh, Middlesbrough are fortunate that with Millwall's honesty, that that Millwall didn't really get didn't get a penalty in that sense, and I'd be inclined to agree with him because as Ryan Giles has sort of clattered into the back of Fleming, I just braced myself for the for the referee to point to the spot, which luckily for Middlesbrough, he didn't do that, and Middlesbrough saw the game out, had a few nervous moments, one in particular cross came into the box, sort of bundled round a little bit. Stefan came to punch it. I think he did make contact with it, but it ends up going behind him. Savile then flicks it towards goal, and I don't know who it was, but it's flicked over. It would have been written in the stars for George Savile to score the equaliser at the Riverside, but it wasn't to be. Middlesbrough saw the game out, got three points against the side that were level on points with him at the start of play, and moved up a place in the championship table, now sat in fourth place, a point behind Watford, who were uh, to come to the Riverside uh, next. But, yeah, all, th all things are, are looking very rosy uh, for Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough, aren't they, Chris? Yeah, they are. We're in a phenomenal position and a position that, myself and probably most others thought just wasn't possible uh, given our start of the season. And I saw a tweet the other day and of course, you know, we we would never have got Michael Carrick in at the start of the season and sat Chris Wilder. By all means, we all sort of, to quote Steve Gibson, um, thought that we we're going to smash the league under Chris <laughs> Wilder. Um, but yeah, it, it, I mean... 
I think you told me before earlier that at, at the moment we're, we're picking up um, around about, or if not a little bit more than two points a game from Carrick's tenure. So, I mean, that tells you everything you need to know. It's it's pretty much automatic promotion form, isn't it? Um, and it is, it's, it's fantastic, obviously, getting Cameron Archer in early only adds to that. And obviously he made an appearance again off the bench just to sort of talk a little bit about the way that the game panned out. I did actually feel that when Archer come on, it sort of not disrupted us, but I just felt like there wasn't as much of a cohesion, I guess. And obviously that'll come. It's it's still very early days. He's playing with players that he's never played with before. Um, and this is nothing against Cameron Archer at all. It is just a case of Middlesbrough's team learning the way that he works and, and, and vice versa. Um, but yeah, in terms of the position that we're in, I mean, it's... It, I just never want it to end. It is very much quite scarily reminiscent of that sort of period under Chris Wilder where everything just seemed like it couldn't go wrong. And then all of a sudden we just started shipping goals. And I mean, it just went from bad to worse towards the back end of that season going into this season, of course. Um, One thing, obviously, that we haven't touched on yet in terms of a, of a, I can't even get my words down, Nathan. A big <laughs> talking point from the afternoon that didn't happen on the pitch was obviously the absence of Isaiah Jones from the squad altogether. Um, we now know Michael Carrick has revealed that it wasn't to do with injury. It was a, a decision made by the coaching staff. Um, and without saying so, it's almost felt like Carrick was pretty much sending a message to Isaiah Jones to say, you need to be better. It's as simple as that. And to be honest, I agree with it. And it's not a topic that we've discussed really, because obviously he's been on the bench and and made small cameo appearances. But it would be interesting to hear your take on Isaiah Jones at the moment, because obviously for the first time in his Middlesbrough career, he's, he's going through quite a bad moment really. Yeah, he is. And I think it's all sort of, it, it's it's nothing new, really, um, for Isaiah Jones. Um, I think what we saw of him last season, firstly, under under Neil Warnock, away at Fulham, where he came off the bench and, and, and looked really good at Craven Cottage on the opening day. Um, and then into the season he was he was dazzling in the opening few games for Middlesbrough a, re- a real standout um under Neil Warnock and then as things started to peter out in Warnock's tenure he, he sort of sloped down a little bit um but then with Wilder coming into the side and Jones being sort of stamped down as a fullback uh, sorry a wing back he was nothing short of outstanding for a period of three or four months. He was Middlesbrough's main outlet. It was pretty much shifted to Jones. If he can't do anything with it, shift it to the left-hand side. Don't try and go down the left-hand side. Leave Jones isolated with a fullback. 
and shift it back out to him as soon as possible. Get him one v one, and he'll kill the fullback, and we'll probably have an have an opening down that right hand side. And towards the end of last season, we did start to get found out. Every team in the league doubled up, tripled up on Isaiah Jones, and it must have been really difficult for him to to sort of deal with that and and, and fig, find out ways of how he would deal with that. And then going into this season, I think that the hope was that he'd add a few more elements to his game, such as getting into the box and being a, a possible a possible man in there for goals, which we saw against West Brom on the opening day, got himself into the box at the back post. Maybe a bit fortuitous how the ball lands at his feet, but he's there and he finishes that. I think so far this season, although it's not been his best season by any stretch, and we're, we're seeing a, a poorer Isaiah Jones so far this season, he's still got more goals than he did last season. So he's improved in that as- aspect of his game. But in terms of his attacking intent against fullbacks, it's miles off what we've seen Isaiah Jones do to fullbacks in the past. Um, it's a far cry and I think you can see that Carrick hasn't been impressed with it because Isaiah Jones has been taken out the side for a player that's predominantly a centre forward really um, and Carrick's been full of praise for Marcus Force and rightly so because he's he's trying his heart out in a position where He's probably never played really before. And despite looking a bit unorthodox in that role, he's getting his just rewards. He's scoring goals. He's playing a a pivotal part in Middlesbrough's attacks. And I think what this is, is a warning shot for Isaiah Jones that you must improve or else you won't be at this football club for much longer as as sort of serious and nailed on as, as as that sounds I think that is sort of the message that you must improve and I think that a little bit of tough love from from Michael Carrick and Jonathan Woodgate might and will hopefully work in in Isaiah Jones favour because I for one I'm desperate to see Isaiah Jones back at his best because he was dazzling last season for Middlesbrough. He was a real, real exciting player to watch and probably exactly what you wanted from a winger last season, looking to just get at his fullback at every opportunity and could go inside at times but mainly would, would just take him up the line, keep it simple, take him up the line and put put good balls into the box. And we haven't really seen that so far this season. So hopefully this tough love works in Middlesbrough's favour and Isaiah Jones comes back into the fall very soon, fit and firing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think everyone's aware of Isaiah Jones because of, as you say, that sort of, few months period last year where almost Middlesbrough fans were 
aware of what he could do. But I think especially because of his performances against Man United, Chelsea and Tottenham, almost all of the big boys sort of sat up and thought, who's he? And obviously there was the, the Jed Spence versus Jones debate going on. And obviously that increased his stock. Um, and I think this season, even actually towards the back end of last season and most you know outsiders probably wouldn't have seen it there there was almost a drop off in his performances in the final few games um and i think obviously what must be said is chris wilder's middlesbrough team was almost built around isaiah jones last season and obviously, with the introduction of Ryan Giles, I guess that's taken a little, a little bit of the of the limelight away from him in terms of, you know, almost why go down the right when if you're going to get quality every, almost consistently nine times out of ten from the left, and obviously that partnership or the trio almost of of Dyke, Steele, Jones, and Crooks was so effective. The shapes changed under Michael Carrick. And yeah, it I don't know if it's a loss of confidence or just a bad patch. Obviously, I think most football fans and, and people that understand the way that football works, a lot of the time, younger players, when they come into a team, have that initial run of no fear and, you know, shining brightly, dazzling, as you said, and then hit a little bit of a rough patch and have to come out the team for a little bit. And as you say, I think it's just a bit of tough love from Michael Carrick in that, you know, it's simply put that Isaiah Jones has got to improve from the type of performances that he was uh, producing as a substitute over, over the past few weeks because he's looked not even half the player that he did. But we all also know that you don't become a bad player overnight. And as you say, everyone's hopeful that he'll get back to that. And, you know, I think it was one year ago today or yesterday that um, we beat Reading and obviously Crook scored two late goals. And you look back at that version of Isaiah Jones and, I mean, he was literally unstoppable at points and we've seen what he can do. So... Hopefully this little bit of tough love will get him back to that and, and get him fit and firing. And, you know, he's got a tough job on his hands, uh, displacing Marcus Force, of course, with his form at the moment. But, yeah, I think, to be honest, I, I do think it was the correct decision from Carrick. Yeah, I think that that, that has to be said. But another um, sort of selection issue that we that we did mention earlier on with with Dara Lenahan um is should he be out the side for a, a long period of time do you think that Middlesbrough would perhaps look to be dipping into the transfer market this this window for for a centre half um especially because if Lenahan's out we haven't seen Matt Clark in a number of months now, pretty much since Chris Wilder left the club, we haven't seen Matt Clark for. Um, Paddy McNair is not usually uh, a centre half in a in a back two. Um, 
But yeah, what what do you think, Chris, in in, in that regard with with the centre half issue? If if Lenahan is out long term, would you be inclined to dip into the transfer market if you were in charge? Yeah, um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because Daryl Lenahan sort of finally it felt like towards up until the point that he was injured, we were finally seeing the Daryl Lenahan that pretty much every fan in the championship was saying what a signing that is for Middlesbrough, especially on a free. He was one of the best defenders in the division last season. And yeah, as I said, we were really starting to see him and Dale Fry build almost what felt like at times a bit of an unbreakable um, partnership at the centre of the defence. I think, especially considering that Paddy McNair, I guess a lot of people probably thought that he would be on his way out in January. It it almost adds a little bit of extra sort of, I don't want to say uncertainty, but obviously he's not going to be going anywhere now because of the situation we find ourselves in. And I think I would say it just depends on where Matt Clark is, to be honest, because if he is going to be fit soon, then he looks more of a natural in terms of obviously on that left-hand side of the defence, especially of the two centre-halves, that he would be more of a natural fit. And he is more of a player that can play as a centre-back in a back four. Whereas, obviously, as you say, we sort of know that Paddy McNair can be a centre-back, but ideally in a back three. Um, and like you say, again, it depends on the length of time that Daryl Lenahan's out for. If it is that that's his season done, then I've got to be honest, I would be probably a little bit tempted to dip into the market if I was Michael Carrick and, and try and find a ball-playing centre-back that is a natural centre-back because although Paddy McKnight can do a job there and he always has done when he's been asked, I still don't really feel like he's the natural fit. And obviously, for me, I think it's quite clear to see how much we actually miss Lenahan. And obviously, we got the win and, and Paddy McNair filled in and, and did a job. But I don't know if it's his presence in terms of as a leader or if it's just the attributes he brings as a centre-back. But definitely, there's a there's an obvious... For me, there's an obvious position there where I think, well, that could be strengthened a little bit. But, yeah, what's your take on that one? Yeah, I think... If Lenahan's injury is long term, and if Matt Clark is still um, a long term absentee, then I think that I would be looking into the transfer market. But I did hear Michael Carrick's view on this um, on Saturday afternoon, and he said, "What well, we'll have to wait and see." At this moment in time, it doesn't seem that we will be dipping into the transfer market, which, I mean, the the signs are there that it looks good and hopefully Daryl Enahan won't be out for, for a long period of time. But it's just in the in the circumstance that Daryl Enahan is out for, for a long period of time that 
that Middlesbrough may need to dip in there. I just wanted to get your opinion on that one, Chris, because I think it's a it's certainly a an interesting topic to discuss, especially because Lenahans came in to the side under Carrick and has has really impressed me in particular um, because of his performances. I think you can see that he is probably a standout leader in that side. Um, the Middlesbrough team, I don't think, is full of leaders. I think it's full of a few strong characters there um, that are very likeable players in the dressing room, but I don't think there's any ready-made leaders apart from Daryl Lenahan and perhaps Tommy Smith in this current crop of Middlesbrough players. Um, but yeah, just wanted to get your views on that one, Chris. But now we move on to um, the, the big one, I suppose. The, the derby that's not a derby derby. Um, it is Sunderland away at the Stadium of Light on Sky Sports, Sunday afternoon, 12 o'clock kickoff and it's the one game that I really dread um I, I've never ever really dreaded playing Sunderland because in my lifetime of us playing them I mean they've been nothing short of horrific really for the most part and this this year they've got a little bit of something different about them where they've got a few players that are performing really well for them. They've sort of got the fans back on side with the club a little bit, um, which it it was funny to laugh at Sunderland in League One for, for the longest time because they didn't bounce back after the first year and then the second year and then the third year. And it went on and on and on for years, but... Yeah, they, they, they've appeared to get the fans back on side now, which which is obviously a positive for them. Um, and, of course, now they've got a manager that we know all about. He's been here before. He's a Middlesbrough legend, Tony Mowbray. In his first game as... In fact, no, it wasn't. It was his second game as Sunderland manager. He came to the Riverside and... It was a strange game. Um, Middlesbrough were under Chris Wilder's regime at the time. And plenty of things have changed since then. Um, on that day, Liam Roberts started in goal. Matt Clark played in a back three. Um, Rodrigo Muniz started up front. And I think Alex Mauer played in midfield that night. A lot of things have changed from the usual starting eleven in that game to the manager as well. So we we face a test on Sunday afternoon. Of course, we lie in in fourth place um, on forty two points. Sunderland are currently in tenth, although that is a false position because the championship is truly a, a monstrous league, really, that Sunderland are, are on 38 points only, four points behind Middlesbrough, yet six places behind 
as well, which is it, it's unbelievable how tight the league is still. Um, but yeah, Sunderland away, Chris. What are your immediate thoughts going into this fixture? Are you filled with confidence? Are you feeling nervous? What is your view on this fixture? Um, well, to be honest, Nathan, my immediate thought about the fixture is the away allocation is a joke. Um, but yeah, in terms of the game, it's it, it's one of the days in, in the football calendar for a Middlesbrough fan that given that we haven't played Newcastle in about a million years now, it is our closest thing to a derby that, I mean, Sunderland fans don't seem to think it's a derby, despite the fact that every time they come, they want to start some sort of aggro. Um, but it, it gives you that little sort of butterfly feeling in the stomach of, oh, God, we, we can't lose to these lot. And without putting too much of a kiss of death on things, touch wood, it's been quite a while since that's happened. So, you know... It, it, it is, it's a nervy one, isn't it? And I guess you mentioned some of the changes from the last fixture, which obviously we come out on top, uh, come out on top of. The fact that they will have Ross Stewart dropped out of their team before the game had even started, and of course had that injury layoff, and now he's back and in fine form. So that's a whole different test for, for Borough's back line to deal with. And I think of around about that time as well, Ahmad Diallo had only sort of just signed for them. So obviously we've got that as a test as well. A lot of Sunderland fans think he's the second coming of Messi. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Sunderland, have, as much as it pains me to say it, Sunderland have got some, some really good players at, at championship level and some would argue that they could be really good players at, at Premier League level as well. So... With a fully uh, full capacity stadium of light, with such a, a small section of Middlesbrough sports, which is obviously an absolute disgrace on on Sunderland's part, it's a, a really quite daunting prospect, and and the nerves are already sort of there. So, yeah, Nathan, I'm I, I am a little bit concerned. I'm not going to lie. Um, I feel the exact same as you, Chris. Um, I think earlier on in the season, I felt that this game was a massive game for Middlesbrough's season um, because of the early season struggles and what was to come for us. But we got the win in that one and it didn't really change anything around. It didn't change the form around. It didn't turn the season around. So hopefully we treat this as just another game. We go there, play our way, do what we can and hopefully hopefully get out with a positive result. Um, I think that going into this game, it is, it is a very nervy one because you are going away from home, behind enemy lines and things like that. Yeah. And yeah, um, it, it's certainly going to be a very difficult test, especially... With Ross Stewart up front, he's the main man. Um, he's the goal scorer, the one 
that Middlesbrough have been linked to, it, it's pretty much nailed. But we'll we'll not speak about that anyway yeah. because we don't want to put too many too many jinxes on things. But Sunderland in their last game um, were defeated three one at home by Swansea City, a side that's a pretty inconsistent but turned up at the Stadium of Light on Saturday afternoon and. Well, passed Sunderland to death, as as Tony Mowbray told the press. Um, a red card in that one for Sunderland means Luke nine will be missing out um, of this game. A player who I think would relish a derby fixture, probably try and fly into a tackle, as he did on Saturday afternoon where the crowd got a little bit leery because they didn't get a penalty and 18 seconds later he was walking off the pitch. Yeah. So, yeah, going into this game. Here's a question for you, Nathan. Go on. Would you take a point now? I'd snap your hand off for yeah. a point. I don't, I, I wouldn't care, I wouldn't care if it was nil-nil, 1-1, 2-2, 3-3, 5-5, I couldn't care less what the game was like. I'd, going into this game, I would snap your hand off for a point. Um, at the start of these three fixtures um, that I made a big deal of uh, two podcasts ago now, I did say that if we were to go unbeaten in these, um, in these three fixtures and, and, and pick up five points, Minimum, I think that I'd be over the moon with that, and were three points towards that already with a with a victory against Millwall. So, yeah, I'd love to go and beat in here. Um, I think that I'm talking myself into being less nervous by thinking, well, if Sunderland beat us, they're still behind us anyway. So, oh well. Um, but yeah. I will be inside of the Stadium of Light on Sunday afternoon. I did get tickets for Sunderland. Um, what an ordeal that was. It continues to be an ordeal um, for the final 187 tickets that went on sale this morning that have now sold out. But yeah, a shambles in terms of ticketing sales. Let's hope that Middlesbrough's performance isn't a shambles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that would be a start, wouldn't it? Um... <sighs> this game feels a little bit stranger than the last few because I've gone into the last few and I've, I've been really looking forward to watching Middlesbrough play. But I feel in this one in particular it sort of throws form and league position out the window, as we saw earlier on in the season. Sunderland got off to an incredible start in the Championship, the first season back in the Championship, came to the Riverside and got beat 1-0 by a side that were really, really struggling at the, the lower, lower parts of the table. This time, it appears that both sides are a little bit more evenly matched in terms of league position, in terms of managers having grips on 
what their best teams are. I just hope that we go there, put in a good performance, pick up a positive result, and yeah, get out there unscathed, really. That would be ideal. Yeah, it certainly would be, and I think that's probably... A nice, uh, a nice point to to leave this podcast on before we both manage to worry ourselves to death and actually are just a bag of nerves before <laughs> it started. And I'm sure we'll be a bag of nerves anyway on Sunday. Um, but yeah, as you say, let's hope we can get out there unscathed. Um, and hopefully, Michael Carrick's brilliant start as Middlesbrough manager continues um from me Nathan as always thank you ever so much for watching and listening it's always nice to record the podcast off the back of a win um so yeah it was a nice one this week upbeat once again and hopefully we can repeat that for you next week um as always if you're watching on youtube please do like and subscribe and for audio listeners please do leave a kind review on any audio platform that you listen on And finally, for me, Nathan, we will see you again next week. And fingers crossed for I do the business at the Stadium of Light. See you next week.